Joining me this week are Paul Avis and Scott Rayner from Canada Life Group Insurance. We talk about using return on investment, ROI, to convince finance directors of the benefits of group income protection schemes. Welcome to episode 110 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business, and for discussing topics on all things finance. And now, here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate your support. As always, I'm Roger Edwards, here to help you keep your marketing simple, whether it's marketing strategy, content, or social media. If you want to have a chat, you can always book a Skype call with me. Just visit rogeredwards.co.uk. I'd love to chat to you. This week, we're looking at group income protection and a new marketing approach from Canada Life Group Insurance. Paul Avis, Scott Rayner and I chat about how convincing the HR team about group income protection is only half the battle. The ROI method being a light bulb moment for finance directors and moving the proposition focus from financial benefits to practical and emotional recovery support. Paul is Marketing Director at Canada Life Group Insurance and before that has had marketing roles at Legal & General, Unum and Aviva. A keen sportsman, Paul notes his interests as Bath Rugby, Somerset Cricket, Swindon Town Football, Diving and Skiing. And Scott is Group Income Protection Proposition Manager. He's into visiting modern art galleries, watching Liverpool Football Club and Yorkshire County Cricket and listening to Les Miserables. So let's get into that interview with Paul and Scott right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. So, Paul and Scott, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hello, Roger. Hi, Roger. How are you guys doing today down in Bristol? Beautiful, sunny, crisp day. Uh, Glorious weather to be um, doing this with you for the third time, Roger. Paul, you you jumped the gun there. I was just about to say, Paul Avis, this is your third appearance on the Marketing and Finance podcast. It's great to have you back, but this time you've brought your colleague Scott with you. Just remind the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast who you are, Paul, and then we'll move on to Scott and he can introduce himself as well. Uh, my name is Paul Avis. I'm the Marketing Director for Canada Life Group Insurance based in Bristol, We are currently the market leaders in group risk, um, and we're very proud of the fact that we do much more than simply pay claims. Hi, I'm uh, Scott Rayner. I'm the Income Protection Proposition Manager. Uh, My job really is to uh, work on a daily basis uh, with uh, our employers um, to help them extract full value, not only from their group income protection policy, but from uh, the other absence management and health and well-being pathways that they have in place in their organisation. Thanks, guys. So we're going to talk about group income protection today. And as you've already said, Canada Life is the market leader in group risk. But is it really going all that well from a market point of view? As a group, um, we every year get an additional number of employees. So, for example, in the Swiss Re survey last year, we had an additional 27,644 thousand employees which was a 1.3 percent increase so in terms of the employees being covered by group income protection it's a very very good news story however the challenges we faced are firstly premium growth is not that great because things such as low interest rates and um, 
also the increasing number of limited payment schemes, which now represent around about 17% of all schemes, actually mean that the premium growth is, is, is masking what is a, a challenging pricing environment in that world. But also the real frustration I have is that the 17,111 employers are being expanded rather than new employers coming to the marketplace. And I think that the challenge we've got in growing the group income protection market is getting all the good work that we do as an industry out there. And I, I can actually reference the grid claim stat where under 2,000 people were cited as being returned to work by group income protection insurers. Bear in mind that we cover 2.1 million people in this marketplace. That is less than 0.01%. And I can't believe that the 17,000 employers with 2.1 million people only have 2,000 absences which, which we can help with. We, we must do better to get that message across. And is this a communication problem, Paul? I think that packaging and communication and awareness is, is clearly important. And, and those that are following the DWP Green Paper, the responses that, that we will provide will be on things such as the um, potential return on investment on income protection. I think that the affordability question has been out there a long time. We can clearly evidence how affordable certainly limited payment chip is. Mm -hmm. But... But the real communication challenge, I think, is about there's two options here. You can rely on the state or you can buy this insurance. And when you realise that in April 2017, the state benefit goes down to £3,801, i.e. Mm. a 30% reduction, it's clear that we should be educating both consumers and employers that if someone is long-term sick, they're actually very much more disadvantaged without group income protection or individual income protection, they would be with it. Simultaneously, um, what a lot of people uh, are not probably aware of is um, mortgage interest uh, was extended from 13 weeks waiting for housing benefit under state benefits. It's now 39 weeks. You've got to wait nine months to get your mortgage paid. It's a state interest rate charge, uh, which is currently 3.12%, and there's people with four or five cent mortgages out there that wouldn't get that. It's limited to £200,000. So you think about the London property market, where that's a, you know, a pimple on the backside of many uh, mortgage amounts. And then you, you, you also think anyone who's got a £16,000 saving doesn't even qualify for that. You've got the benefits cap at £20,000, uh, £23,000 in London. So the message that we should be saying is, look, if you're long-term sick, you will be living on £3,800 a year, no help with your mortgage for nine months. It's not, it's not the charging rate. It's limited to the state rate. It's limited to £200,000. Who can live on that amount? And that's the education message. Choice, income protection versus state benefits. And we can get that message across will be doing a great job by the consumer, by the employer who's faced with an absent employee who's basically going to move on to the poverty line and probably be repossessed. That's actually quite scary when you lay it out in bleak terms like that, isn't it? I think we've always had this issue with protection, whether it's individual or group, that the man on the street believes that the state will provide. And, and it's quite clearly that all the state will do is keep you absolutely on the breadline. You know, you can't, nobody can live on £3,000 a year these days. Um, they have to think about alternatives. And what are you doing? What's Canada Life doing to try and get these messages out there and to raise awareness of income protection? Well, the first thing is we're developing a service proposition, and Scott will talk about that far more uh, later, with, it, with an eye for, you know, the importance of early intervention and rehabilitation in the employer space. But also, 
um, the importance of actually uh, premium control and management through getting in early and returning people back to work. So, so the proposition, we believe, is actually much more than a financial benefit, and that is the future of this product, is preventing um, claims from happening by returning people back to work. We started doing early intervention services in 2010 on a pilot basis, and this tended to be for larger employers with premiums of £300,000. In 2014, we reduced that um, to all employers that were with us could use a day one, could use an, uh, an early assistance intervention process. Um, we've, in 2015, relaunched it again, and this is where we did that um, with Scott at the Corporate Advisor Forum, and, and um, the result of that was advisors saying, this is amazing. Now we've refined that model further to develop the return on investment side. So the messaging about group income protection should be, it's the employer, the FD, really want an absence management service, not necessarily a financial product. The financial product is massively important when you fall off the end. You can't be returned to work, but the bit in between is the important piece. So that's the message that you'll see coming out from us in 2017 is, this is much more than financial benefit. There are a raft of services that you could use here, not only vocational rehabilitation, but employee assistance programs, second medical opinion, treatment sourcing, online telephonic legal services, and so it goes on. So if we start talking the language the employer wants, rather than just talking about a financial benefit, I believe that we'll be able to do a, a great job at uh, getting the awareness levels up, and ideally getting the return to work um, programs that we can offer at the forefront employers' minds when they're buying this rather than at the, the back end. This is really interesting. And actually, do you know what, it, do you know what Paul? It reminds me 15 years ago when I became involved in the startup Bright Grey. Of course, that company no longer exists. It's part of the Royal London Group. But one of the things that we did, they did in those days was introduce what was, what is called helping hand, the Red Arc additional benefits on the insurance product. And I always had it in my head at that moment in time, that was 2001, people were buying insurance. And what we were saying, when you buy insurance, it's got this add-on, this sort of helping you recover, helping you get back to work add-on. And I always had it in my mind, wouldn't it be great if one day in the future, we almost like flip it round the other way. So what people are actually buying is the help the getting you back to work, the the practical stuff. And actually, it also pays your salary if you can't work, but it, it's actually the flipping. So instead of buying the insurance, you're actually buying the rehabilitation. And I think that, uh, you know, maybe the market just wasn't ready for that 15 years ago, but it sounds as if you certainly want to take it down there, down in that direction yourselves. And I'm quite fascinated by this approach that you've mentioned already, Paul, this return on investment, because that's certainly the right language that you need to use if you're talking to people like the financial directors of companies and, and you've identified the FDs as the people to, to focus on in companies to try to make them understand the need for income protection. So, so what, what are you actually doing on this return on investment stuff, this ROI? Well, at this point, I'm going to hand over to Scott because he'll introduce what he does all day, every day. But just, just to come back on the comments on, on Red Arc and Best Doctors and the great service uh, providers that we work with, we've always taken the opinion that 
that we have a responsibility beyond the check. Mm. You know, when someone has a serious change in their life circumstances, whether it be bereavement, uh, diagnosis of a serious condition or an absence, we think that, you know, just paying a benefit out is a single dimension. Mm-hmm. So we've always taken our responsibilities to support the individual much, much greater than that. And, and of course, the challenge there is that's great for the individual. When you work in the corporate space, the employer has a completely different agenda. Mm-hmm. And that's where we believe the return on investment work is becoming ever more important because SDs, inevitably the people who have to pay the cheque, are the people we need to appeal to, as well as the HR people who get all the additional support services that we provide and get the importance of vocational rehab. So the ROI is kind of the different audience point. It's the FD, where's the business case for doing this? And and this is the point at which I hand over to Scott, um, who does both new business and existing uh, business expansion, but, but also works very closely with the employer, the customer themselves in the corporate space. Fantastic. Scott, just give me a bit of background about what you do on a day-to-day basis for Canada Live. Okay, Roger. Yeah, and put very simply, um, my job really is to build uh, a proposition that meets the customer need. Um, now, I work with employers most days, and I've been really, really lucky this last 18 months. I've, I've met over 100 employers from uh, many different industry types. And as part of those meetings, it would have been remiss of me in my role not to ask this question. So I asked them, are you getting what you need from us in terms of an income protection provider? Or is the industry giving you what you need as income protection providers? And really the feedback from those employers, and and Paul's quite right, uh, it's that audience is largely HRDs and FDs, procurement, comp and bends managers. Mm-hmm. Is actually, they're not. Yeah. The feedback I'm getting is, I don't understand why I should have it. I don't get why I should have it for all my employees if I've only got it for a few. And most frustratingly is if they've already bought it, they don't understand why they should engage with it. Now, interestingly, my response in those meetings, which often start that way, uh, is quite tricky. But I would agree. I completely agree with those comments because as an industry, we have completely failed to articulate the true value mm-hmm. of an income protection policy to the employer. Now, business as usual for an insurer should be to get people back to work. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. That, that's the minimum standard. That, you know, I, you, we, we make a lot of noise about that, but that's what we should be doing. Um, but the employer needs to know what benefit they're going to get from having an income protection policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all we've done very simply is, and I think you both referenced it already, is we're now able to articulate very clearly what has been purchased. And I don't like to call it a product mm-hmm. I, uh, that's been bought. It's an investment. It's absolutely an investment in a solution. And that investment is twofold. The first benefit is the employer benefit, which mm-hmm. is absence management support. Um, and sometimes even before that, prevention of absence support. Yeah. The second benefit is the employee benefit, which is the salary insurance uh, for your really poorly people in your organization, people suffering from cancer, strokes, MS, Parkinson's disease, etc. And again, our responsibility as an industry is to pay those and make those decisions very quickly in days, which we will do. We'll do that in days. The industry has been doing those in weeks and months. Mm. So very simply put, we're articulating absence management for the employer, salary insurance for the employee. Um, and then you can break it down even further. So you then say to them, well, what do you, putting that to one side, what support do you really need as an employer to manage absence in your organization? And four things come back. And I would um, 
call these the four C's. The first C being, can you really support me on complex absence, please? So this takes up most of HR's time. So stress, anxiety, depression, work-related stress, musculoskeletal, back pain, when something else is actually going on with that employee. Mm -hmm. And yes, we can support them through early intervention. I'll go through some of the uh, fantastic success we've had. The second is clinical. Can you really help me with my poorly people and quickly? Mm -hmm. Yes, we can. We've already referenced that. We'll do that in under 10 days. The third one is around communication, which is a really interesting one. I would call this workforce engagement. It's a bit of a hot topic. How can we better engage our employee benefit and absence management pathways with our employees, with HR, and with line managers? Yeah. And we usually help an organization through our employee benefit triages and our absence triages, which we can go into a bit more detail later as part of the ROI. But the final point is where we've um, really introduced this return on investment concept. So the, the fourth area of support HRDs and FDs have been asking for support in is cost. And it's actually, when you scratch beneath the surface of what, what they're actually saying to us, it's not the cost of the insurance, which again, business as usual should be sustainable, gradually coming down by engaging with the services. It's the absence costs that that organization is incurring. Mm -hmm. So that's when you're in front of HR, FD, you're basically saying this is your time, your money, and I, I guess most importantly, the missed opportunity to maximize a valuable employee's ability to get back to work. And the fact if we don't act quick enough, the employer is going to have to fund that. Yeah. And what they're also saying to us at the back end of that, Roger, is if you can do that final point, that final fee cost, if you can articulate that to me as the employer in a credible and in a compelling way that actually means something to my organization, we will talk to you about having income protection if we don't have it, having it for everybody if I've only got it for a few execs, and to be engaged with it if I'm not engaged with it. It's all around that cost element when you've got the right audience. So that's why we develop the ROI. It's a really interesting concept. And to be honest, I've never heard anybody else in the protection market use this terminology as a benefit on uh, an insurance scheme. And I think you're absolutely right. Calling it a product is, is not the right way to go. An investment is an investment in your employees and in the and in the bottom line. Are we actually saying then that in the past, the FDs have almost been a block to these schemes being put in place? Perhaps companies up until now have been targeting the HR departments and maybe the HR departments understand what the um, the whole issue is but then when it goes to the FD all he sees or who or all she sees is an expense and therefore it gets canned but what you're doing is you're saying no we've got to get the buy-in from the FD right from the start make them understand that it's an investment it's an investment in keeping our employees at work, paying them if they have to be off sick, but getting them back to work as soon as possible by helping them to get back to work. And therefore, it is an investment in our people and in the company. Is, is that effectively what you've done? Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I've, I've met, in the last three months, I've been to see three HR directors mm -hmm. and, and gone through uh, the return on investment for their organization specific to them. Mm -hmm. And at the end of those meetings, the feedback has been, I'm really pleased you've come to see me today, Scott because we've tried, so this is, uh, this is a good example of expansion, that we cover three employees, they've got 2,000 employees. Mm -hmm. The HRD last year went to the FD and said, I wanna have this really important, the most important employee benefit for all 2,000 employees. FD says to HRD, sounds great, but where's the cost benefit? Mm -hmm. 
what they're saying to me is, thank you so much for now providing the cost-benefit analysis that I require to get internal sign-off for having income protection for every single member of my workforce. So you're absolutely right. It's, we need to get buy-in from HR, and the buy-in from HR is we're going to reduce the amount of time mm. you have to spend managing this sort of absence, yep. and then buy-in from the FD around what is the return on investment in terms of what is the risk to your organization in terms of absence costs from not having this in place. And do you have some sort of methodology or some sort of uh, checklist that you go through to create this ROI for these potential customers? Yeah, there's three things I, I really need, Roger, to uh, do a cost-benefit analysis of, of the risk of absence costs in, in any organization I go and see. And those three things are absence data by individual type and length, it's the sick pay policy uh, for that organization, uh, and it's the salary role uh, with job titles, salary, and length of service. Now, with those three things, um, I can undertake um, the cost-benefit analysis. Uh, really importantly here is is the data sources that I use um, to enable me to do this. So mm -hmm. there's only two data sources uh, other than Canada Life data and the employer's data, and that's the health and safety executive and the CIPD. Right. Uh, why do I use those two data sources? I surveyed over 60 HR professionals, and over 90% of them told me very clearly those were two the two organizations they trusted to go for support and for data. Now, if you take the health and safety executive as an absence cost, there's been lots of consultancy pieces on how much absence costs an organization. There's a report last year commissioned by an insurer that said if you're at over 500 life employer, it costs you 770,000 pounds. I tested that in my role as the proposition manager at Canada Life, and the feedback I got from an employer was, I do not recognize that cost, it's a hidden cost. The second bit of feedback I got from that consultancy piece was how dare you tell me how much absence is costing my organization yes. when you, you haven't asked me anything about my organization which is why we ask for the absence data the sick pay policy and the salary role now what we're able to do with that is then take how many complex absences that employers had in the last 12 months so the bank i was going to see who had three employees covered and they had 2,000 employees employed and asked me whether they could have early intervention for free. When I got their absence data, there were 16 LTAs over the last 12 months. Uh -huh. Nine of them were complex absences. We believe that we would have got five of those back to work from having early intervention in place. Those five that were over five weeks in length. So we will only say we will, we will save them 8,000 pounds per absentee for those that were absent for more than five weeks because we know early intervention gets people back to work in five weeks. Mm -hmm. so the health and safety executive cost saving of 8K per employee was off for more than seven days. For this, this organization was 40,000 pounds from having early intervention in place. Then we take the sick pay policy. We, we feed back to the employer the average length of service which was two years for this bank, and the average salary in the organization, which was £32,000 for this bank. We look at the sick pay policy. That said, if you had over two years service, you get 26 weeks full, two weeks SSP. Very generous, but very typical from employers I go and see. What we do with that data, and the employer is scribbling down at this point key bits of information that you're feeding back to them, you're creating a level of engagement by doing that is we overlay the sick pay policy across those five employees we believe we'd have got back to work. So we take their individual salaries, their individual length of service, 
work out what their sick pay qualification is, then work out how many days over five weeks we would have saved. For this employer, that was £31,000 of sick pay they were paying out for those five employees who we believe they wouldn't have to pay out for with early intervention in place. Then we move on to HR times. So the health and safety executive, £8,000 per employee is very clear. It doesn't include sick pay liability, which is why we've just done what we've just done, and it doesn't include HR time. The CIPD say it takes 12.5% of a HR payroll to manage complex absence. For this bank, that was £40,000. They had eight people in HR. The average salary in HR was £40,000. So the data source from the CIPD, trusted data source, is important. But for this bank, we were basically saying it's one of your eight strong HR team are currently spending their time managing absence. So you put the sick pay liability and add on the HR time liability and then add on the £40,000 health and safety executive cost. And we had undertaken a risk audit for this bank. A risk audit from not having early intervention in place for all your employees was costing you £111,000. The cost to expand that income protection scheme from three people to 2,000 people was £145,000. So, for a net spend of £34,000, you get early intervention from our in-house nurses that lifts the absence cost out of the organisation. Yeah and salary insurance for another 1,997 people. That's how we create the level of engagement we've managed to create by using this return on investment piece in that credible and compelling way which the industry told us it had to be. So if you compare £111,000 using their absence data, their sick pay policy, their HR payroll, and put it against historic consultancy pieces by an insurer commission report that would say it was costing them £770,000, you can see why we're getting the level of engagement that we're getting. This is such a compelling argument, Scott, and I can see the light bulb moments that this must create in the FD's eyes. And what's what's been the what's been the reaction that Canada Life's had to this? Effectively, what's been the return on investment on return on investment? So, Roger, it's probably worth just just stopping at this point and just saying that we are on a journey here. Uh, if you go back to our materials and our information provided to employers on early intervention, going back two, three, four years, we were talking about higher acceptance rates, reduced incidence and reduced duration of claims. Yeah. And that was enough on the insurance product because that gave you sustainable, appropriate premiums. What you're now hearing from Scott is the, the fact that we've got a team of people who can now articulate the return on investment. And we, we are, again, evolving that. For example, the Equality Act compliance of returning someone to work is massive. The fact that we are providing vocational rehabilitation from day one has a beneficial impact on the employer liability insurance because it both reduces the sick pay from the workplace accident yeah. but also limits the duration. So, so all of the stuff you're hearing from Scott is available to advisors now and it's, it's a call to action. Talk to us if you've got an employer that doesn't have income protection of a decent size where we can evidence this and talk to us about expanding an existing scheme. And, and so if, if we can take that call to action, that's probably a decent way to introduce what the employer response is back to Scott because we, we are absolutely convinced where an advisor lets us talk to the employer in the, this way, we will get them over the line on both new to market and expanding schemes. And, yeah. and Scott will now talk through that. 
I think it's really important. So <clears throat> I get to um, sit in a lot of health and wellbeing forums where the I think it's a really good idea when an employer does this. They invite in all the different employee benefit and absence management um, pathways into the same room. And the first thing that strikes me there is when there's 10 or 11 different pathways in that room, you can actually physically see the issue that HR and line managers will have in terms of where do I go? Yeah. You know, I've got EAP, I've got PMI, I've got occupational health, I've got treatment and counselling, all vying for, this, for the same um, same position. And I really genuinely believe that kind of life are, fit, are the only um, the only option in that room fit for purpose to integrate all those different pathways mm-hmm. on behalf of the on behalf of the employer. Now, what I also find when I'm sat in those rooms, all those different pathways are. Um, all fighting for the same space and their interest really isn't the customer interest it's generating and protecting their own revenue stream yeah again i genuinely believe the income protection provider are the only ones there who've got the customer interest at heart to really open up the appropriate pathway for those employees and you think about why that is so all those other pathways occupational health etc in that room they drive cost up by increasing usage we drive costs down by increasing usage. So the more you use the early intervention and prevention services at Canada Life, we've just talked about the return on investment of absence costs, mm-hmm. but it will also drive the cost of the insurance down. So the employers I'm going to see are basically saying, I just want one place to go that signposts me the appropriate pathway for this individual who is absent or is about to go absent. Now, I would take... There are three pathways I would like to point out at this point for different reasons. Through early intervention, we get a spike in EAP usage of 30%. Now, EAP is usually undervalued and usually underused. I think that's a fantastic um, representation of how early intervention can get engagement in an appropriate employee benefit pathway. So 30% increase in EAP usage. When we talked about those 550 referrals where we got 80% of people back to work in 2015, we only signed post-occupational health 10% of the time. We find by sitting early intervention in front of occupational health, you get two things. You only use them when you really need to use them because the nurse is signposting it rather than HR and a line manager. Yeah. And you get a significant increase in the quality of the referral coming back to the business because the nurse will always, will also provide the questions to proactively lead that absence into occupational health. Private medical, we only signpost 3% of the time. I would say for having an income protection provider in place, you will get more appropriate use of your private medical insurance. So just taking those three pathways, and many organizations have got more than that, and they've invested heavily in them, I would say that Canada Life as income protection provider is the only solution in that room that can bring all that together and drive better outcomes and better value from all the other health and well-being pathways in place in that organization. And that's a very powerful place for us to be. Um, and and we, the important thing is to be able to get in front of the right people again in those organizations to advocate how that income protection policy can be that one-stop shop to integrate all those different solutions. Because I think it's really sad when I see on day one of absence, most employees have not accessed any of these pathways that the employer is heavily invested in. And we can change that. 
Paul, Scott, this has been fascinating. I've never really thought about income protection, whether group or individual, from a return on investment point of view. And I think it's a fascinating way to almost just change the thinking of companies when they approach an insurance scheme like this. And certainly Canada Life are leading the way and uh, it's very exciting and I'd really like to follow what you're doing and, and certainly keep me updated and, and maybe we'll have another chan- chance in the future for you to have appearance number four on the podcast to update us on what's been going on. So just to sort of bring it to a close, what are your final thoughts on where things are going? Yeah, from my point of view, Roger, it's really, really important. Uh, the return on investment is, is a very important piece. But when we're saying from the customer, that's just one element of what an employee will get from having income protection in place with Canada Life. Yeah. So I'll ju- just to finish, I'll take us back to those four areas of support that we've developed on the back of the feedback that employers have given us in terms of what their need is. Yeah. So workforce engagement being the first one. So if you take workforce engagement, you've got it. So for the bank we went to see in the in the case study we've been through today, in workforce engagement, they've got EAP for 2,000 employees. They've got best doctors for 2,000 employees and their immediate family. They've got an employee benefit triage via the nurses who will open up the appropriate pathways before people will go off. We'll introduce experts into their organization to do line manager and HR training. And we'll do implementation meetings to make sure that the users of the services know when to use it and how to use it. So that's the first area. And we're very specific in what our commitment is to the customer when we go to see them. The second area is absence management, what we've spoken about today. So paper-free support on day one via the in-house nurse team at Canada Life, doing the absence triage service, driving better outcomes and quality from occupational health and private medical insurance. And the ROI will reduce the resource and the financial liability required to manage absence in the organization. Third thing is, you know, we talked about at the beginning how we've really flipped this conversation around, Roger. Income protection is one element of support. So salary insurance for 2,000 employees provided quickly and efficiently for the really poorly people in that bank. We'll make those decisions in under 10 days. That should be standard. I'm afraid it isn't in the industry apart from with Canada Life. And we'll signpost the SMO service via Best Doctors for people who are struggling with clinical conditions to add value to that journey. Fourth point, and I guess my job is to keep absences away from claim, but we know that we're going to have absences that need to go to claim. So in terms of claims management, you get a dedicated claims management consultant who has the autonomy to make decisions on behalf of that customer and build a relationship with them. Let's not forget the nurses are also vocational rehab consultants who can explore return to work so people who are being off long term. And most importantly, again, in this area, we will analyze data and MI to make sure we're reacting to any adverse trends in that organization and we can build solutions quickly. So, yeah, the return on investment is a really great conversation starter to have with the right people in that organization. But then when you get in front of those people, it's really important we can reflect on the feedback we've had from the employment industry and talk about how we've built our proposition around that feedback and those four areas. And Paul, what are your final thoughts? So from my perspective, Scott, Scott nailed it. As an industry, are we giving the employer what they really want? And should we be talking about solutions rather than a financial benefit? So if you, just, if you just step through the kind of process that I as an advisor would probably think about. The first thing is state benefits are changing. You can't live on £3,800 a year and your house could be repossessed very quickly if you can't afford 39 weeks of mortgage. So there is a genuine need here for both individual and group income protection at 
a, a consumer at an HRDFD individual level. And, and we've got to get that message across. Do not rely on the state. At a financial product level, we're still at this position whereby uh, income protection, premium control money, intervention services are in place. And, and Scott's evidence, not only the five weeks um, average duration of uh, an absence where the intervention is there, but also that once a claim is in payment, the duration of absence is, is reduced. So, for example, on a mental health claim, uh, the average non-EIS is uh, two years for mental health and the average EIS one with mental health claim is, is um, seven months. So reduced incidents, reduced um, duration and higher acceptance rates is what early intervention provides on the financial benefit. The exciting news here though, the really exciting work that, that we've developed and the proposition that, that we're talking about is a service-based proposition. Yeah. I don't believe we mentioned the financial proposition too many times in this podcast, Roger, and that's where we're heading. We are very much heading towards being a service provider to an employer rather than being a financial provider. So yes, we will offer extended sick pay for the people that fall off the end where we can't get them back to work. We're very proud of the way that we do that and we manage that. We're proud of the fact that clinical claims are paid within 10 days. But the exciting thing here is the complex claim where the employer generally struggles to manage people with subjective conditions such as back pain and mental health, stress, depression. And if we can take that burden off them and provide a clear return on investment by doing that, that, that is going to get us over the line on every case. And so if there's one action out of this, and I think Brighton said this earlier in the, the podcast, please talk to us about the work we're doing in this area. If you have a new-to-market scheme, an employer that probably hasn't ever had this kind of insurance but has got an absence problem or is worried about their health and well-being costs or wants to invest in health and well-being, if you've got a limited number of employees covered under a scheme, we can help you build the business case for the HRD and the FD to get you over the line on it. So, so the call to action is advisors should be talking with people here at Canada Life and Scott specifically about what can be done to really transform the group income protection market to deliver what the customer wants. Again, I'm really excited about this, Paul. I love the ROI approach to marketing. You flip the marketing, that's really good. And you're really keen if, if effectively as well to flip the whole idea of insurance to turn it into a service-based proposition rather than a finance-based proposition and that's entirely along the lines that I think the market should go so I'm hoping the people are listening to this are going to want to get in touch with you so you said Scott's the man how do people get in touch with Scott yeah very happy for people to contact me by um, email so my email address is uh, scott uh, that's a double T dot Rayner, R-A-Y-N-E-R, at canadalife.co.uk. Um, or they can also contact me via LinkedIn. Fantastic. Paul, Scott's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Let me wish you again every success for the future, and no doubt we'll meet up again at some industry award function or just a pub one day for a pint. Thank you, Roger. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the topics, apps and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you are a business person, financial services professional or journalist and have a marketing or finance story to tell, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. 
And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's just thoughts and opinions, okay? 